Welcome to another exciting episode of the Business of Sound. My name is David Segura, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Glassbox Media and the host of this podcast. Our goal is always is to provide you with insight, inside look essentially into the world of podcasting with actionable tips to make you better and make you more successful with your respective podcast. Join us every other Thursday as we bring expert insights and conduct exclusive interviews with some of the industry's leading voices. But before we get started, hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star rating to stay up to date with all the episodes of Business of Sound. In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking to Luke Johnson, the managing partner at Rose Street Capital. Rose Street is an early-stage VC that invests in both consumer and SaaS-oriented startups. They're also based here in New York, and I'm super excited to talk to Luke today. So without further ado, uh, let's bring him in and let's extend a warm welcome to Luke Johnson. Thank you so much, David. I'm really excited to be here and I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thank you for making time for us. You know, there's a lot of listeners right now that are most likely podcasters. We know for a fact a lot of them are brand executives and we know a lot of people just either want to learn more about podcasting as a craft or like the folks at Paramount, they're kicking butt already, but you know, they're primarily known for film and TV and now they're getting into this new medium. Or what we don't hear a lot from is investors. So taking a step back, love to just have you introduce yourself just so the audience gets a feel for who you are, and then we'll start diving into the meat of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a partner at Rose Street Capital. Uh, we invest uh, primarily in consumer and also in software um, at the earliest stages. So typically invest uh, in companies before they have about a million dollars in revenue. Um, and yeah, I think you know podcasting is really interesting in the sense that Today, I think a lot of brands, especially consumer brands and also software companies, mm -hmm. they've traditionally relied on advertising channels like Facebook or Google um, to kind of get their name out there, acquire customers, and also um, retain those customers. Um, those channels have kind of become table stakes over the last few years, and so they're not as profitable as they used to be. And so when it comes to finding new channels, I think podcasting is really interesting in that sense. Um, and I think history has a way of repeating itself because podcasting is kind of like radio uh, back in the day, and radio is filled with advertising. And so we're kind of seeing that trend again today, and it's it's become a really attractive channel to advertise on. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, jingles and soaps, those were people have a hard time remembering that, but that was brought to you by P&G, yep. Unilever, and companies like that. So it really has come full circle. Yeah. So I guess on that note, you know, one thing I was kind of curious to know about, and it's a little bit of a loaded question because I already believe in this, but... Brands like Manscaped, you know, Athletic Greens, major consumer startups have basically scaled through podcasting. On the flip side, a lot of your portfolio is earlier stage companies, whether it's SaaS or consumer. What's been your experience in kind of hearing their opinions or just talking to them, frankly? Um, no wrong answers, but what do they think about podcasting? Yeah, I think when it comes to advertising for brands and, and for software companies, there's kind of like a go-to playbook, um, or at least there has been over the last few years. Um but what we've seen, at least in our portfolio, is that the ones that do things differently are typically the ones that stand out. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, uh, you know, one of our companies um, very early on started uh, advertising on billboards. Mm -hmm. And we were just kind of like, you know, it's not really like a traditional medium for an early stage startup. Um, but as a result, like those billboards went viral and they got a lot of attention because of that. And so I think, long story short, um, you know, looking for these new channels and mm -hmm. doing things differently, even at an earlier stage, is is still, I think, a good idea yeah, and a way terms. to stand out. 
That's cool. If you don't mind me asking, and if you can't disclose that, that's totally fine. But which startup was that? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather not disclose that, okay. um, unfortunately. And no worries, yeah. no worries. But uh, some savvy consumer startup out there was taking an early bet on billboards, and it paid off for them. So whoever they are, uh, they probably are listening, and kudos to them. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, I guess one other question I'd have, too, is just in general, kind of the evolving trends that you see in the industry. What have you noticed about just, like, consumer startups in general and also even SaaS startups? Like, how has this environment changed, let's say, since the pandemic? In other words, I'm a positive person. I think things are good, but they're not as crazy good as they were maybe in the pandemic. So I'm curious to know, like, what your point is. Uh, For sure. Maybe from investors. For sure. I think we've seen a lot of startups really spend a lot more time on developing interesting and engaging content. And I think they do that to try and foster a community, um, you know, at the earliest stages, people that are very loyal to their brand. Um, and that obviously helps them in many ways. But I think from an advertising perspective, um, it reduces their cost of customer acquisition and mm -hmm. it, it simultaneously increases their retention. Um, and I think also, too, a lot of these companies, they develop these communities because they look to them to really ask them about what products they want next and how they can, you know, make their products better. And so that's that's one way of of kind of you know product testing, um, but also mm -hmm. fueling their their product pipeline. So obviously, podcasting is just one kind of channel or community. What other communities have you really felt that have worked pretty well, even if they're wildly different? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of community building, I think a lot of on the consumer side, we've seen a lot of brands really leverage TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, those are, I would say, primarily younger, younger, you know, their audiences are primarily younger, um, a lot of Gen Z audiences on, on TikTok. And so a lot of the consumer brands that are, are more geared towards younger audiences, they're, mm -hmm. they're really heavily, uh, you know, developing content there. Um, but yeah, I, I think some of them, uh, you know, are looking to podcast um, as a way to, to kind of foster that community. And I think it's a way to have like a, a real and engaging conversation with your, your customers and your audience. Couldn't agree more. Now, here's another loaded question that might put you on the spot, so feel free to say what you will. Why did you end up investing in Glassbox? Well, to be honest, I think, you know, we invest, again, at the earliest stages, so sub $1 million in revenue, and oftentimes way less than that. Mm -hmm. And I think at that point, it's really, you're, you're really investing in founders and in team. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of financial metrics to really gleam a lot of insights off of, and so... We're, you know, primarily in the business of investing in people at mm -hmm. that stage. And um, when it comes to investing in people, um, you know, we met a, f a few years before you had started the company That's and true. obviously had a, a previous exit and experience in, in the media, media space, um, which was really compelling. But I think more than that, um, getting to know you over those few years, it was very clear that, you know, you had an exit, you could kind of be comfortable and hang out. Um, but you were interested in doing something much more than that and, you know, in a big way. And so that mentality, um, you know, of, of being willing to hustle and go through the ups and downs of starting a startup all over again when you don't really have to, um, is, is really ultimately what led us to invest. Well, that, that clarifies it. And we appreciate your support. Of course, the whole team has really enjoyed working with you. Um, but taking on a step back, obviously this could be about in part about podcasting or exactly about podcasting, but. What sort of startups have really caught your eye as of late? Like just any niche, any category? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's a great question. I, th I think, you know, right now in, in our world, uh, we see a lot of AI uh, startups um, kind of building off ChatGPT and OpenAI. Um, there's definitely like a hype cycle 
in that space right now. Um, kind of reminds me of 2019 with crypto and Web3 a bit. Um, but, you know, we've we've been working in AI um, and machine learning software companies, at least myself, since 2015. And so this is not something that's, you know, new, but I think mm-hmm. AI is new in the sense that it's consumer-facing and consumers are actually able to use these tools and products mm-hmm. um, in their daily lives and they're seeing a real impact. And so I think, you know, there will be a lot of a lot of these companies that don't work out, as with most startups in general, sure. but I think there will be a lot of interesting companies that are built um, on top of AI and on top of GPT and large language models um, mm-hmm. over, over the, you know, the next year or two. I'd agree. Like you said, there is a hype cycle that can be noisy. It can definitely be difficult, I guess, as an investor, but... It's a hot category for a reason. I think it has yeah. real utility and it can change lives. So it makes sense. Yeah. And we're just to add on to that. I mean, there's one company in our portfolio that they're now leveraging ChatGPT to automate their customer service oh, um, and, you know, send text replies to customers and all sorts of things. And so we're seeing a real impact, um, you know, in the portfolio. Yeah. On our side, the candid truth is we haven't made it like quite indispensable yet for operations, though I think a lot of our investors think we need to evaluate that and make it so. Yeah. But I know some of our team members have leveraged it pretty heavily, heavily in pitching content ideas and concepts for a lot of our brand clients, including a really big, uh, I probably shouldn't say either, but global toy company. And the brand liked mm-hmm. it. So the future is both exciting but almost scary. It's like TT style. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of – there's going to be a big impact. Interesting. So going a little bit deeper then, uh, I'm curious, like whether it's AI, B2B, or consumer company, what do you evaluate – in these early stage companies before you make an investment? It's a great question. I think, again, just going back to, to people and team and founders, um, that's really where we start. Um, I think one question that we always ask is why? Like, why are you doing this? Why are you building this company? Are you the right person to build this company and execute that vision? I think starting a business is extremely difficult and quickly a lot of people find that there's just a lot of opportunities to give up along the way. Mm-hmm. And so unless you're really, um, I would say, um, uh, focused on what you're doing and doing it for the right reasons, um, you know, having good intent, I think there's there's just too many op- opportunities to give up along the way. And so really getting an understanding of the person mm-hmm. um, and understanding why they're doing what they're doing um, is really the most important part of, of investing, I would say, at the earliest stage. I think so. I think it makes complete sense. It's a little bit subjective, and honestly, there's no wrong answer, but I am curious to the extent you feel comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. What's a good investment story? Like, whether it was, like, a crazy um, opportunity that ended up being much bigger than you thought, something you had to, like, fight to get in, or anything that you think would be just interesting to the audience out there or yourself. I'd be curious to know kind of what's a notable investment you made. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, we launched our first fund in, in 2022, mm-hmm. um, so it's it hasn't been very long. Um, we have 17 companies in that, in that portfolio today, um, all of which I'm extremely proud of. Um, I think, you know, one, one thing that's interesting is, is on the software side, we've seen some of our companies pivot, um, several times. Um, one company in particular pivoted three times in the last year, um, literally built three completely different products. And, uh, uh, obviously that takes a lot of time and effort. Um, but doing so in one year is, is pretty, pretty amazing. And, um, they now have over 250 customers and a hundred customers waiting in their pipeline, um, today. And so obviously they found some sort of semblance of product market fit. Sure. Um, but pivoting three times in a year is, is quite a feat. 
And so that's a company that I'm really proud of. And, and I think that they're going to go a long way. Um, but yeah, for us as a fund, I, th- I think we're still early and time will tell, you know, um, how, how successful we are. Um, but I think one thing that's, that's, uh, interesting for us is that we don't come from, you know, the, the venture capital industry as, a, as our background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we started doing this, um, you know, a lot of people asked us, are we going to be able to find the best deals and, and get into these deals when they're competitive? And, um, so for us as a firm, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been interesting to, to be able to invest alongside some top, mm-hmm. top funds that you know of, like Kleiner Perkins and Graycroft and Index. And many of these funds have invested in our portfolio after us. And so mm-hmm. there's some sort of semblance for us as, uh, there of, of, you know, knowing that we're, we're at least trending in the right direction. Yeah, it's definitely impressive. And if you remember me asking, like, how did you develop that pipeline? How did you make these connections with different founders? What are some of the tactics or even stories that have worked out for you? Yeah, for sure. I think my background was always in software. And I basically, my job was always to reach out to interesting consumer brands and, you know, pitch them our technology as a way for them to drive incremental revenue. And essentially, uh, through that process, um, established, you know, uh, a process of, you know, having a pipeline of companies mm-hmm. to reach out to and, and so on and so forth. And something that's, that's something that we've taken over to our fund. And so in that sense, the majority of our investments are actually companies that we reach out to directly, mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, companies that come to us or, or that are referred to us. And I, I think that's important because typically the best business is done, um, you know, with, with companies that you want to work with rather than vice versa. And so, that's that's a process that we've taken to the fund uh, from our past experience. That's awesome. And then I guess on that note, too, then I'm kind of curious to know, I mean, I, you're probably willing to invest, if not everywhere, maybe all over the country, mm-hmm. um, but you're based here in New York. You know, you're in the Soho downtown area. Have, do you feel that gives you an edge to be in New York City? And if so, I'd love to hear how. Yeah, definitely. I think on the consumer side, 100%. Um, most of the interesting consumer brands that we see are being built in in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's some outliers there, but um, New York is kind of, uh, I would say, CPG central in, in many ways. Um, and then also on the software side, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting SaaS companies being built in New York. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are actually started overseas, um, and then they come to New York when they as they grow and as they scale. Um, yeah, but I think being in New York. Um, you know, we also just interact with our city in many ways more than, than other, other cities where people live in the sense that you walk to a coffee shop and you might see 10 brand advertisements along the way. Sure. Um, whereas other cities you're driving around and it's, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I think being in New York definitely gives us an edge. That's a great point. And speaking of New York, we're actually coming from you live today in Brooklyn at the Spotify Studios. So I want to give a shout out to our partners. They're always amazing in making this available to us and then doing a whole bunch of other stuff for us in the back end. So it may sound like a shameless plug for Spotify, but it's actually sincere. It's a beautiful studio. I wish you all could see it, but that's what it is. Yeah, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, one thing I guess I want to talk about and kind of like turn it over to you is just, is there anything maybe we haven't covered that you're kind of like itching to talk more about? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think in general, uh, I would say that Today's fundraising environment is a, is a bit difficult uh, for startups out there. Um, but going back to um, a question you asked earlier, um, you know, maybe some things that like we're, we're proud of as a fund is that 
um, you know, while the environment out there might be difficult, um, I think a lot of our portfolio companies are, are currently raising, um, and they've they've done a tremendous job, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that they'll continue to to do a great job in the future. But um, yeah, I think you know fundraising is always a challenge for startups, um, but as you grow and and show some revenue growth and prove again in some sort of semblance of product market fit, it gets easier along the way. So for anyone out there that's you know starting a company or might be raising, um, you know, keep keep at it, um, keep growing. And uh, ultimately, you know, the time will come where, where you close your deal or close your round and um, can, can continue growing even more. Well said. You know, it's just as a follow-on question to that, though. Market is tougher. It's definitely more challenging. You're out there, obviously, supporting your portfolio companies. But specifically, I mean, I think we all kind of know the backdrop of, like, maybe why it's harder in this environment. But, like, have you seen any actionable, let's say, tactics or, you know, approaches that some of your portfolio companies have taken that have been more fruitful and anything maybe that a listener might, you know, kind of take to heart to kind of get them out there or back out there so they can get their thing done? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think, you know, there's definitely not one one trick or or one thing that's that's gonna, you know, close your round faster than than another. But I think today investors are are really, you know, asking more um, about profitability. Mm-hmm. And if you're not profitable today, do you have a plan to get there in the future? And so I think just taking some time to reevaluate, you know, your company and where you're at today, and and the, the growth that you might have right now, um, and translating that into a story for the future and the vision that you're really trying to execute on, mm-hmm. um, but doing so in a profitable way, um, and showing you know investors that you talk to that you are very thoughtful about that, um, you know, is is one way in which you can stand out from a lot of other people because, at the end of the day, um, being profitable is not an easy feat. Um, most companies are not, at least in our world. Um, but if you have a path to get there and can communicate that effectively, uh, I think it will will definitely make you stand out. Well said. That's a great way to kind of end the interview. So thanks a lot. This is Luke Johnson from Rose Street, and hopefully the audience enjoyed it and gets, got something out of it. I'm almost positive the answer is yes. <laughs> thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you, thank you for coming. Yeah. And for the audience, thank you again for listening to this week's episode of The Business of Sound. As always, the show is produced by Erica uh, Miranda and also Nick Kastner. The show is obviously programmed every other Thursday. We invite you to tune in. And if you can find it in your heart to give us a five-star review, we'd appreciate it. It makes it easier to discover. And also feel free to follow the podcast and the company on your favorite social media, whether that's Instagram or LinkedIn. Thanks again for stopping by.